Good morning, church. How are you? Good to see you all. You look good. You sound good. Over the weekend, uh, my oldest son decided that he was going to build a fort in his bedroom. Oh, he loves, he loves building forts. And if any of you parents now know of those nugget couches, where it's this set of cushions where you can, I mean, it just makes constructing forts that much more fun. Maybe not that much easier because he still asks mom and dad, build something, build something, but like all the time. My favorite thing about these nugget couches is that if you go online uh, to look at different things that you can construct, they have ideas for like two and three sets of nugget couches, right? And you've only purchased the one for quite a bit of money, I might add, but all the ideas that your child sees online involves more (laughs) and bigger sets. Anyways, he was building a fort in his bedroom, and he was so excited to walk me through it. He called from across the house, Mom, Mom, come look. And he walked me through as he had constructed this whole new bedroom with two different rooms, I mean, decked out with beds and blankets and stuffed animals and his favorite stuffed animals specifically for his cousins to come and have a sleepover. He had built a whole new house in his bedroom with all of these bedrooms because he wanted his cousins to come and stay the night. I mean, it looked to me just like a pile. Of, and he had almost done this one maybe by himself a little bit. Maybe Dad had helped. But to me, it looked like just like a pile of pillows kind of haphazardly put together. And the children, of course, want to climb up and stand on top of them. And that doesn't work. But this is what I see. I see sort of like um, it's dangerous. <laughs> this is what Mom sees. I'm like, oh, it's sweet. Yes, um, your cousins want to spend the night. But this also is not safe. <laughs> That's what Mom's thinking. To Logan, it was this whole new space where his cousins could come and play and imagine and be. I couldn't see it, but Logan could. Logan could see it, and he was so excited to tell me about it. It reminds me of the, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, there's actually a series of parables right in a row in which Jesus teaches And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. He says things like, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is leaven that's hidden in a loaf of bread. It's like treasure hidden in a field. It's like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Then maybe one of my favorites, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. The kingdom of heaven is like. And after a little while, kind of in the middle, right after the parable of the sower, before it's explained, one of the disciples looks at Jesus and he just says, why are you teaching in parables? <laughs> like, why are you doing this? knowing that a lot of people are confused by these or it's not, you know, the meaning is not just immediately obvious. And he answers them. And he says to the disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And then he continues, sort of five or five, four or five more parables, the kingdom of heaven is like. And he references at one point Isaiah when he's talking to these disciples, and he says, you know, there are many prophets and many righteous people in Israel, talking about the past, the family of God, who longed to see and who longed to hear 
the things that you are seeing and hearing right now. Because it's Jesus, of course, who comes and announces the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's Jesus himself who announces this new kingdom and and is teaching about this new kingdom and inviting all the people who have ears to let them hear. And yet still, it seems to be um, hard to fathom, hard to understand, invisible even. Maybe this invisible kingdom that's like treasure hidden or like leaven hidden or like a merchant in search of things. Jesus implies that his teachings, not everyone is is, going to understand what this kingdom, this new kingdom, this different kingdom is all about. But it's in his life, death, and resurrection that he reveals to us what this kingdom of heaven is all about. It's in his teachings and his values that he shows us the way to live as members of that kingdom An invisible kingdom, it feels like some days. I want to spend a few minutes this morning taking a look at one of those parables from Matthew chapter 13 and kind of revealing to us what I think is another value of Jesus. We are in our fourth week this Sunday of our teaching series, just simply called Living Like Jesus, a way to start the year out together of all the things that we could accomplish and do and achieve on your own, the goals that you have set, maybe the hopes that we have as a community of faith. I wanted to just simplify it down and say, what would it look like if we, as Revolution Church, just made our goal simple, one goal, let's live like Jesus this year. And at the end of the year, if we can look back and say that we accomplished that, man, isn't that, isn't that the point, right? Isn't that great, that we lived like Jesus? And so each week I've been pulling from a book by Larry Stess, a pastor in our conference called Think Red, where he looks at a different value of Jesus that we might see revealed in the Gospels and challenges us of how can we align ourselves just a little bit more where our values match his values. The things and the people we love match the things and the people Jesus loves. And maybe, just maybe, over the course of that journey, by the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit, we'll be transformed and become just a bit more like Jesus. And so the next parable I want to take a look at, I think, reveals this next value. We've looked at things like friendship and abiding in friendship with God. That song kind of captures a lot of the foundation of these values. We've talked about friendship. We've talked about food. Week two, Jesus valued food. And more than that, he valued the fellowship and honoring the dignity of all people and the humility. We all got to eat. And when he gathered around the table with people, we see some of those values lived out by Jesus He also valued radical generosity, and today we're going to look at the value of small beginnings and look at how Jesus, and in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus valued small beginnings, small things often overlooked or deemed worthless by the world, even today. So it's a pretty short passage of scripture this morning. Would you like to read it with me? Would that be fun? Maybe I'll let you read it, and so I could take a break. <laughs> so you don't want to—you don't need want to listen to me <laughs> read it like this. Okay, let's read this together. This is Matthew 13 verses 31 through 33. He put another parable before them, saying, "The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. 
It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, a grain of mustard seed. In his book, Think Red, Larry Stess says this, Our world values big things, big TVs, big trucks, big houses, big stores, and megachurches with big TVs. Jesus, on the other hand, seems to value small things, things like cups of cold water given to little children and small coins given to God by poor widows. Jesus celebrates and blesses people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He lifts up the meek and says they will inherit the earth, and he loves it when people give themselves to peacemaking. He says they will be called children of God. Jesus values small things, small beginnings, like the smallest of all of the seeds, it says in the parable, the mustard seed. Now, a few things we know about mustard seeds I mean, scientists today will tell you that it may not be the smallest of the smallest ever, but it is pretty small. It's a small seed, and it probably only grew to be about six to seven feet high or or big, however you want to kind of tall. You might think of it more of looking like a large shrub, but described as a tree here, the largest tree among all the garden plants maybe used for hyperbole here for, for comparison. This was, this was a large shrub, but grew to be like a tree, using a comparison. The point being that the plant was large enough that birds of the air could come and make a home. That birds of the air could come and build nests. They could find protection. And what do birds do in nests? They nest, <laughs> that what someone said. They, have, they, they lay eggs. They have baby birds. Cannot wait for the spring. It is coming, my friends. Spring is coming. And we will have so many birds and nests in our backyard. But that's the place. More baby birds. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> Such is the kingdom of God. From the smallest seed of truth can grow a relationship a community, a place for all to belong, a place for people to find refuge and peace, and hopefully a place to experience new life, just like those birds in the mustard tree. I'm sure you've experienced kingdom growth like this in your own life, small seeds, of people or a conference or a a trip that you went on, a way that you experienced Christ through someone else, one person or action that made a profound difference in your life and more than that person could ever even know, more than you've ever been able to really tell them that that small seed of truth and of love grew and had a huge impact in your life. And you've heard that encouragement probably from other pastors and teachers before. We're just called to plant seeds. We may never see the full impact on this side of heaven. You can plant seeds by how you love and how you serve and how you care for the person that's right in front of you. 
I love, uh, Kendall, you've told me this story quite a few times about your dad as a pastor saying, it may take seven or eight times for someone to respond to the gospel. You may be number three or four. You may never see the response. You may never get the credit, like it's our credit to get. But should we not grow weary of doing good through love and good deeds and sharing those seeds of truth in the gospel? Because you don't know in the story of their life what seed you are along the way. You've heard that encouragement. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. I've come across... um, I think he's a former educator and now kind of a motivational speaker. His name is John Perricone, and he's, uh, he travels around now, and he, he teaches other educators. He kind of, those community or those uh, professional development days, uh, and he tells the story in one of his engagements. He tells the story about inviting a Buddhist monk to come and speak to one of his senior classes. And he says as this monk entered the room, he didn't say a word. He simply walked to the whiteboard and wrote, Everyone wants to save the world, but no one wants to do the dishes. Everyone wants to save the world, but no one wants to do the dishes. And he went on to say this, statistically, it's highly unlikely that any of you will ever have the opportunity to run into a burning orphanage and rescue a child. But in the smallest gesture of kindness, a warm smile, holding the door for the person behind you, shoveling the driveway of the elderly person next door, you have committed an act of immeasurable profundity. 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 Say it. Thank you. Because to each of us, our life is our universe. This idea that the impact you can have on someone by simple acts of love and serveness, love and, and kindness and service in that moment can impact somebody in ways that you can't even see. Our world likes to tell us that what it means to be great is that you are celebrated, that you get the credit, that you get the acclaim, that it's about numbers, that it's about, that it's about large impact, and the bigger it is, the better. We all want, even for good intentions, our ego, our pride, tells us that we want to save the world. We want to have an impact And even, again, even for good reasons, that might be good. That we aspire to sort of that greatness and that that celebration. And yet in doing so, in setting our eyes on on the big impact, do we underestimate and miss the opportunities for small, humble acts of kindness and service. Friends, each week has built upon itself. And we've already seen the value of Jesus in humility. That may be the hardest call for us as humans today, of laying aside our own own egos and our own pride and our own motivations, of what everybody else expects and tells us is great, to say actually instead greatness is found, the good life is found in small acts of service and love. A life well lived is a life filled with those small steps and those small expressions of love. Mother Teresa is quoted saying, never worry about numbers. Help one person at a time and always start with the person nearest you. That's great. That is greatness in the kingdom of heaven 
that's like a mustard seed. This is how the kingdom comes, one person and one transformation at a time. The other thing that I want us to know this morning about a mustard seed, yes, one, it is small, and two, it was considered at the time to be like a weed. It was not desirable in your garden because it grew and took over that valuable garden space to become a large, kind of, I picture a wonky-looking um, shrub or tree that was considered even an invasive species. I read scholars this week that likened a mustard plant to kudzu of our day. No one wants it. No one likes it. It takes up valuable space, and it takes over. It would have been very tempting for people of the day and people of antiquity here If they saw mustard growing, it would have been very tempting for them to just weed it out and throw it away. And in fact, one of the parables in this list in chapter 13 is the parable of the weeds and the wheat, of that temptation that we have to go in and and weed it out ourselves, forgetting that it's the great harvester, our God, who's, who's the one who prunes and weeds and separates, not us. Mustard was considered a a weed. And it's as if using it in a parable here, Jesus is highlighting and reminding us that the things the world deems useless or worthless or not good that should be thrown out, Jesus centers here and says it's valued in the kingdom of God. Even becomes a place of shelter and nurture. And this is all God's activity What's ultimately valued in God's kingdom is what others would have called junk. This is how the kingdom grows, from small beginnings and unexpected places, from overlooked ways, like a mustard seed. Yes, like a weed, like a mustard seed. What the world marginalizes and calls worthless, Jesus centers and affirms and loves and says to such as these belong the kingdom of God. It's this upside down kingdom that even Mary spoke about. We read in Luke chapter 2. It's completely different from the way that the world works. It's even like a, like a weed, like an invasive species, it's disruptive. This kingdom of God and its system of values of Jesus are disruptive to the ways that the world works. As Jesus says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the persecutors. No one in our world today holds those people up and says that they're great or that they're hashtag blessed. But Jesus did. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for to them belongs the kingdom of heaven. Like a weed that grows and takes over, this kingdom is disruptive. It'll take root in our hearts and in our lives. It'll infiltrate and grow. And so watch out. It may even change you. It may even disrupt you in the values that you hold dear. Thanks be to God. Because we are members of the kingdom of heaven. Not the kingdom of whatever's going on out here. Sometimes our own kingdoms. 
built on sand. The empires and the systems and the, and the values of the world, they, they don't make sense compared to what Jesus is, is teaching us. I have a pastor friend uh, who's a priest named uh, Andrew White, and he said this recently. He said, let's be honest, pretty much all of what we do as Christians is ridiculous. I liked this. I kept reading. It does not fit in with the wisdom of the world. Why give away your hard-earned wealth? Why give food and clothes and love to people whom the world says are undeserving? Why spend time and energy on rest and healing and wholeness when those things do not make a difference to the bottom line? Pretty much from the beginning, we have been doing ridiculous, foolish things, going against the grain of what the world deems normal. But that's kind of the point. That's kind of the point, he says, because we are members of a different kingdom, a different way of being in the world that is not bounded by any of our ordinary divisions, but instead only seeks to love one another and to love the whole world. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. But it's what we do because there's no other way to do it. That's what we believe. The way of Jesus is the way. There's no other way. This is actually the path to the good life and to blessing and to wholeness and to peace. And I say all that because I think it's a good reminder for us that what we do is ridiculous compared to the world's standards of success and greatness. And sometimes, church, we fall into that sin of using the, the systems and values of the world to, to say what's great here as a church. That it's going to be about numbers, and it's going to be about a bottom line, and it's going to be about how big of a gathering that we have. And following the ways of Jesus then and always, every day, picking up that cross, that's hard because you're constantly running up against a different value system every day. So how do we keep going? How do we continue to value the things of Jesus? Where is our hope, Rachel? Well, I think our hope is having vision. Vision for the kingdom of heaven that is here. Our hope is in gathering here and reminding one another as we study the word, as we listen for the spirit, as we encourage one another to love and good deeds, remind each other who we are and whose we are, and keep that vision. Our eyes focused on the kingdom of heaven that is coming and yet not fully here, and that's our hope and that's our purpose and that's our place. We need vision. We need to train our eyes. We need the spirit to train our eyes to see the kingdom of God that's unfolding around us that pops up and surprises us in unexpected and small ways. And we celebrate those, one transformation at a time. In the Gospel of John, Jesus tells Nicodemus when he asks, he asks, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Here we go, here we go. And he says, can't do these things, these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. The kingdom that values friendship with the poor and the forgotten. The kingdom that values humility and downward mobility in a world that's encouraging you to keep moving up and up and up. A kingdom that values the human dignity and worth of every person you see, especially in a system and a world that deems people as other. A kingdom that values community and radical generosity of giving of ourselves and our resources in a way that doesn't make sense. And a kingdom that values the smallest of beginnings, the smallest of changes, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Friends, we need the Spirit to train us. We need to be born again, and many of us have been. And so we need to remind each other to look for that kingdom, to have that vision. Like a good mother who would have walked into that room with her son and said, wow, I see it. (laughs) Instead of seeing just a a broken limb, (laughs) the potential for a broken limb, she would have said, wow, Logan, this is incredible. Yeah, you can have a sleepover (laughs) in all of these rooms that he could see it. He could see it. And sometimes, friends, in our own place of, of frustration or fatigue or discouragement, sometimes we fail to see to see the kingdom that is here, that is unfolding, even in the smallest of ways. Thanks be to God. That's what the Spirit's at work doing. I want to close with this last quote from from, uh, Larry Stess. He says this, We have set our sights on an invisible kingdom, one not made with hands, an unshakable kingdom that is pressing into our current reality, giving us the hope and the authority we need to be a healing presence in our sin-sick world. Even though we see this invisible kingdom through a hazy window, we believe that someday the vision will be crystal clear. And until that day comes, we will do everything we can to align our values with the values of Jesus and set our compass toward his wild and mysterious vision, believing that if we follow him together as close as we can, he will teach us how to live and how to love like he did. I think that summarizes pretty much the whole series (laughs) right there. How do we press on? How do we keep going? How do we remind ourselves who we are when we keep bumping into the systems and values of the world that value greatness in a much different way? Well, together, we keep striving and chasing after Jesus. Chasing is a better word than striving. Chasing after Jesus and his grace and his values so that we can get caught up. I love that, that wild and mysterious vision together. Because we are members of that unshakable kingdom of heaven. And you've heard me say this before. The kingdom is not in trouble. And neither are you. Because we are members of that kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are and for how you continue to be at work in our lives, in our hearts, in our church, and in our world. God, help us to see it. 
Help us to learn to celebrate the smallest of victories that our world thinks don't mean anything, but in the kingdom, you're throwing a great big party, and you are celebrating with joy and thanksgiving. Would you help us to catch that vision? Will you help us to hold to that vision so that we can continue to chase after Jesus, so that we can continue to find joy and love and peace and the fellowship that you are creating? And above all, God, teach us to abide. Teach us to abide with you so that we know that we are abiding and standing on that solid rock and foundation of Christ. Because we know that kingdom of God is not in trouble. Give us courage, Lord, today. The courage that we need to continue, no matter how foolish we look to the world, to continue to chase after you and your values. We love you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.